Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, uh, we've got an exciting new topic. We're going to talk about the importance of climate risk to both financial and non-financial reporting. And to explain everything about that topic, I'm joined. He's back again. It's Scott Bandura. Welcome back, Scott. Hello. Thank you. Talking about climate, what's the weather like in Canada today? Well, it's actually in, in Calgary where I am. It, it hasn't been too bad. We've actually had a nice autumn so far. Usually we have one week of uh, autumn weather and then it starts to snow. But this year it seems uh, we have a, we have an, actu- an actual autumn. So I remember speaking to you earlier in the year. I can't remember what it was like. I think the beginning of lockdown and it was like really sunny here and you still had like five inches of snow. So I still remember those days, Scott, like they were yesterday. But anyway, we are going to talk about climate, but perhaps not our weather. So if we go into some of these questions, so obviously climate change, big thing at the moment, and its impact, you know, its impact on financial reporting is generating lots of discussion. So can you just, you know, I suppose it's not two things you automatically put together, climate change and financial reporting. So first of all, can you just tell us a bit about how IFRS considers climate change and the assumptions at the moment? Yeah, well, maybe I'll start out by saying it is a bit of a hot topic at the moment, uh, no pen intended. Oh, Scott. Um, <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, you, you might have seen the open letter issued in September from investor groups representing over $103 trillion U.S. dollars in assets under management and highlighting the investor view that climate-related risks are material factors that should be reflected appropriately in the financial statements. IFRS itself does not mention climate change at all, although I will talk a little bit later about some thought leadership that one of the ISB members wrote about climate-related disclosures. But clearly, climate change can have an impact on the financial statements and the assumptions used in measuring various items. And this can be because of climate change risks or also because of the company's commitments to improve environmental metrics like carbon emissions. So, For example, let's consider a company that voluntarily commits to reduce carbon emissions for a particular operation by 30% by, say, 2025, and it doesn't expect that regulations would be imposed requiring such changes, so it, it enters into this sort of voluntarily. This could have an impact on a variety of estimates used in the financial statements, but let's focus on impairment for a moment. The company might have to make some capital expenditures to meet this target and also potentially incur higher operating costs in the future. So if a company is testing that cash generating unit for impairment, it would have to consider the impact of these initiatives on the assumptions it's using for the recoverable amount. The initiative could have both positive and negative impacts on cash flow. For example, the improved environmental metrics could have a positive effect on revenues because some customers may be willing to pay a premium, and this could somewhat offset the increased operating costs. Under IFRS, uh, recall that, uh, generally speaking, an entity is required to calculate the recoverable amount under IS36, which is the standard that deals with impairment of PP&E and intangibles, on the basis of the higher of fair value, less cost of disposal or value in use. And let's assume, as is often the case, that both of these metrics are being calculated using discounted cash flows. Uh, 
Tackling fair value less cost of dispose first, the question would be whether a market participant would make similar assumptions about the need to improve the environmental impacts of the operation, and if they would, whether similar assumptions about the future CapEx operating costs and revenues would be made for the operation um, based on what the company is planning. If a market participant would not assume these changes, they may not be factored into the fair value less cost of disposal in, a, in advance of them actually occurring. In terms of the value in use, it's a bit more tricky because IS36 indicates that future restructuring or improvements or enhancements to an asset's performance should not be taken into account until these projects have at least commenced. So this raises questions about how to deal with these types of changes in a value and use calculation. So that example was a discussion of a voluntary initiative to improve the asset's performance. In other cases, it might be expected that a more stringent environmental regulation would be imposed by a government for the operation. To the extent that this is expected by market participants in the case of fair value, less cost of dispose, that, that such regulations will have a negative impact on cash flows, they should be included in the company's estimates because it's expected that, say, it would be mandatory to improve emissions or because of penalties or costs that might be expected to be incurred. Again, how to deal with value and use can be more complex in this case, particularly where some changes are anticipated to be required to maintain the CGU's operation or to avoid paying penalties. To even further complicate things, there could be situations where a company plans to voluntarily improve an, an operation's environmental performance earlier than they would anticipate would be required by regulations. There might be different scenarios where environmental regulations are forecast to be put in place at different times or with different levels of stringency, and therefore sometimes multiple scenarios might need to be built into the impairment test to deal with these inherent uncertainties. Such uncertainty can also have an impact on discount rates, where there's a higher potential variability in future cash flows as a result of the uncertainty. And so entities should remain careful that the same risks are not being double counted in both the discount rate and the cash flows. I think our discussion highlights this is a very complex area for companies to work through. And as with other areas requiring significant estimates, the company should consider whether they are meeting the disclosure objectives of the standard and really telling the story of how they've factored in various scenarios or assumptions in their impairment tests. And of course, impairment is merely a subset of what can be impacted. There can be numerous other areas where estimates may be impacted, for example, useful lives and residual values used in depreciation of PP&E or intangibles, timing of decommissioning obligations, expected credit losses for loans to impacted sectors, just to name a few. I can't believe climate change is gonna affect expected credit loss. Everything gets in there, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> so that's amazing. I hadn't, I, I must admit, I hadn't thought about all the different implications it might have. The only time I've been talking about climate is when I dabble in the world of IS41 agriculture, where obviously weather, weather in general is quite important there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, obviously moving to maybe some of the board stuff, has the ISB published any guidance around climate change? Well, as mentioned, climate change isn't specifically considered in IFRS, but because the standards are principles-based, many of the standards have the ability to incorporate some of the assumptions around climate change. The ISB hasn't published any authoritative guidance, but Nick Anderson, uh, one of the board members, published an in-brief with some thoughts on IFRS standards and climate-related disclosures. That document discusses some of the impacts on estimates that I've already discussed earlier, 
and also provide some useful guidance on how to consider materiality in the context of climate-related risks, as well as some discussion about how to consider other company disclosures like management commentary. Brilliant. So something for people to read there, IFRS standards and climate-related disclosures. Do you have any recommendations, Scott, for how companies may tackle the impact on their financial statements? Sure. Well, I think the first step is really understanding the impacts for the particular organization. Obviously, some industries that are carbon intensive could be more impacted than lower carbon intensity industries. And in many cases, companies have sustainability or environmental functions, which are developing the company's plans in response to climate change. It's important that those involved in financial reporting stay in close contact with those individuals and make sure the consistency with estimates and assumptions used in financial reporting is well thought through and documented. This is an emerging area and companies' controls over gathering such information may not be as developed or robust as controls in other areas. Companies should be considering whether new or revised internal control processes may be required to ensure the possibility of errors in financial reporting is reduced. I think a good exercise that companies should consider is, is mapping out all the key estimates that they're required to make in their financial reporting and the level of influence that climate change might have on those assumptions, as well as cascading knowledge throughout the organization so that those working outside of financial reporting know the impact that their actions or decisions could have on the financial statements. Great tip there. So a bit of a mapping exercise of all your key estimates and, you know, the influence climate change might have on them. Brilliant. So really useful information on financial reporting there. What about non-financial reporting, such as like environmental, social and governance, so your ESG reporting? Are there any developments there that you know of? Sure. Well, ESG is evolving and some territories are further along than others in this area. We can almost draw a parallel, I would say, to the pre-IFRS world where there was not necessarily one generally accepted framework or way of reporting this information. There are developments happening in various regions around the world. For example, the European Union recently consulted on revisions to their non-financial reporting directive. And various bodies around the world are weighing in on non-financial reporting and considering one set of whether one set of global standards might be appropriate for reporting on ESG type information. Accountancy Europe wrote a thought leadership paper looking at whether interconnected standards would be appropriate. That is a harmonization and interconnectedness with financial reporting standards. And they highlight that there are possibly hundreds of non-financial reporting initiatives going on around the world. Obviously, we can't discuss all of those unless you'd like to extend this a, a few hours. But um, one to highlight, <laughs> but what one to highlight might be the Global Reporting Initiative, which recently published standards for exposure, including its universal standard, with an aim to improve quality and consistency of reporting. It is also publishing a number of sector standards for exposure, including oil and gas, coal, agriculture and fishing, textiles and apparel. And similarly, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB, has an aim of developing industry-specific standards tied to the concept of materiality to investors, and it's currently inviting comments on its conceptual framework. On top of that, in September of, of this year, the IFRS Foundation trustees published a consultation paper to assess demand for global sustainability standards and noted if demand is strong, they will assess whether and to what extent the foundation 
may contribute to the development of such standards. One, one possible option outlined in their paper is a new sustainability standards board operating alongside the ISB. We'll develop a response to this consultation paper, and it's something that I expect many companies will also want to consider responding to by uh, the comment led deadline, which is December 31st, 2020. Brilliant. So you've comment letter, another comment letter to submit. Um, and then what about assurance over some of that non-financial information? Are there any developments going on there? Well, in many jurisdictions around the world, there's not a requirement for ESG information to be audited or reviewed, but many companies are voluntarily seeking assurance to be provided on all or part of this information with an aim of enhancing trust of such information and the demand for insurance on such metrics really is continuing to grow. As this information becomes more material to various stakeholders, including investors, uh, regulators around the world are contemplating whether or not to mandate assurance on all or part of such non-financial information. And non-financial information may soon evolve to be as mainstream as financial reporting. The International Auditing and Assurance Standards Board recently consulted on a proposed non-authoritative set of guidance for extended external reporting assurance, in which they acknowledge the growing demand for assurance engagements and seek to promote consistent, high-quality application of assurance standards to strengthen the influence of extended assurance engagements on, on the quality of extended reporting, enhance trust in the resulting assurance reports, and engender greater use, uh, user confidence in the credibility of extended external reports so that these can be trusted and relied upon by their intended users. So again, a lot going on in this, in this area. Even if companies are not currently seeking assurance on such reporting, I think that many are starting to realize that they may, may either voluntarily want to seek assurance or that regulations may evolve to require some assurance on such reports. Developing robust reporting controls and processes to ensure that such information is susceptible to audit is likely a key starting point in preparing for such requirements. And of course, as this information becomes more material to stakeholders, having a robust system of controls and documentation to support non-financial reporting in a manner similar to how the company supports its financial reporting will be critical. Wow, Scott, you have to say extended external reporting about four times. <laughs> I don't know how you got it out. I would have uh, struggled, definitely. Say that four times fast. Okay, so coming to the end now, very interesting topic. What Any uh, closing thoughts from you? Well, I, I don't think we can underestimate the rapidness of developments in this area and the increasing need for companies to stay on top of what's going on. I think the capital markets are evolving to seek more and more information on both the implications of climate change on the financial statements and at the same time seeking more detailed ESG disclosures. We talked about the fact that climate risk can impact the financial statements under IFRS and the many estimates that can be impacted by such risks. It's also really important to take a step back and think about the impact of any non-financial ESG type information that has been disclosed and think about the overall consistency between the financial reporting, management commentary, and ESG information. Is the company telling its story to stakeholders in a clear, consistent, and understandable way throughout these documents? Not operating in silos and ensuring that the financial reporting and ESG functions are talking to each other is usually key in providing quality information. 
Brilliant. I feel like this is something that's going to rapidly keep moving, Scott. So we might have you back, if that's OK, when we get the sure. next installment on climate change. Um, so thank you so much uh, for coming today. Really, really interesting to talk about something a bit different. And we'll speak to you again soon. Is there any, any have we got any documents? We mentioned the ISB one. Anything people can read? Or is that on the, on the way? Uh, on the way, but I think the uh, I think Nikki Anderson's paper from the ISP is a good one to uh, as a starting point to read. Brilliant, thank you, and uh, thank you very much for our, to our listeners. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding program was brought to you by Price Waterhouse Coopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.